Good morning. Good to see you. Man, it's good to be back. Uh, this is home for me. I, uh, I, my wife and I, we were here for many years, and uh, we sat in these seats week in and week out and heard the gospel and let it infiltrate our hearts. And uh, I actually was baptized right back there. Uh, served in ministry here, served in Awana, led Bible studies. Uh, so coming back home here, uh, it's always good for me because there's so many great memories and so much that God did in my life right here. And so, so excited and so glad to be back. Um, I've been at OSU for, it's been like 12 years now. Uh, we started out with one Bible study and then, you know, the church kind of grew up and we helped, you know, send people to plan another church. And I mean, and generations of students have come through. It's, it's been great. Um, but in about four weeks, we get a whole new generation to work with. 7,500 freshmen are going to move into our area. If you drive down 315, you might notice the two towers that sit in front of the Ohio State uh, football stadium, the shoe, and those two towers are the two largest dorms on the campus. They house about 2,500 freshmen. And our building that we're going to meet in this fall for the first time uh, is going to be in a little building right next to one of those towers. And so literally within a rock throw of both, and it's the first time we've been able to do that. We are so excited, and we would appreciate your prayers as uh, we continue to try to reach out to this new generation of students that are coming to OSU. And I just want to say real, real quick to you, uh, whether you know it or not, you here at New Life Gehanna are our biggest supporters, not only financially and prayerfully, but it's your pastors that guide and lead me and my staff. Uh, the advice they give, the, the truth they speak into our lives, sometimes the correction, uh, sometimes it's just venting. Um, it, it's so important to us and to what we do at OSU. And so on behalf of myself and the staff at New Life OSU, thank you. Thank you for all that you do and the support that you give. Uh, we really appreciate it. Well, since you know that I'm really kind of family, you know, on, on the other side of town, but we're connected. Let me tell you a little bit about my family. Um, this is a picture of my family. This is my wife, Tammy. Uh, she and I, this Friday, will be married 17 years. And so we, we celebrate together. And on the right, that's my oldest daughter, Abigail. She's going to be 10 this fall. And my youngest daughter is Carly, and she's going to be 8 this fall. Uh, that, those are my girls and my family. And once in a while, I, I do get to use the bathroom. It's true. Um, but I have to wait in line. Um, that's my family. A little bit about me, I grew up here in Central Ohio. I am the youngest of six kids, and I'm the youngest of four boys. My dad grew up on the East Coast, so he lived in Boston most of his life, and he was an avid fisherman. And he would tell us stories of catching fish in the ocean. He once caught a shark. I'll never forget him telling me the story. And so he loved to take us fishing and share those stories with us and teach us what he loved about fishing. And here's the deal, out of the four boys, like two of us are good fishermen. The other two, not so much. So my oldest brother, he does not care about fishing. The two in the middle, great fishermen. Me, yeah, not so much. But so here's a picture of my brother, Phil. He's two and a half years older than me. Is anyone here a fisherman? You're a fisherman? Listen, that's a six and a half pound bass he caught on a light reel with four and a half pound test. That's like string. I don't know how he did it. I caught him like, dude, how did you pull that thing in? He goes, once you've been fly fishing, you can catch anything. I'm like, all right. He should have his own Bass Masters show. I mean, he's really, really good at fishing. I have another brother who's 14 months older than, than me, incredible guy, and he's like my buddy. We're like best friends, 
And uh, most of the times I've been fishing my life, it's really with him, and really it's just because I want to hang out with him. And he really loves fishing, and uh, he, you know, he'll supply all the gear every time we go. And it's to the point where, okay, he's really good. He always knows where the fish are going to be. He, so I just do what he tells me. But it's, it's little things like he knows how to make the knot on the hook, so he'll make it and he'll swirl it around. It looks like a noose. He'll pull it tight, and it's perfect. I'll do it, and I'll pull it, and the hook comes off. And finally, he'll just look at me and be like, would you like me to tie that on? I'm like, yeah, if you don't mind. So that's kind of our relationship, all right? Well, one day he said to me, he goes, hey, do you want to catch a big fish? I'm like, sure, yeah. So he goes, let's go up to Shawnee Hills. Shawnee Hills is a little community out on the other side of the zoo across the river. He knew of this little alcove area where he said, there'll be some big catfish and big carp in there. Let's go fishing for them. I'm like, all right. So one morning we get up real early in the morning. It's like 5 a.m. We're out there and we're fishing off the bottom. Now, let me explain for you guys who are not fishermen. There's like a couple different ways to catch fish. You could, you know, use bobbers or you could reel it in. Well, this is, you're fishing for something on the bottom. So what you do is you take a dough ball, you stick it on your hook, you throw it out there. And what you do is you stick your pole up on a twig or a stick or something like this and the pole in the air so you can watch the string, you know, the uh, line go down into the water. And what happens is when a fish is trying to get that, it'll either bring it in and the line will come in or it'll take it out and the line starts to run, okay? So if it starts to run, you want to set the hook. All right, so this particular morning, it had rained and the water had kind of receded. And so here's the water line. There's about, I don't know, seven or eight feet of mud. And we set up about 15 feet back from the water line. And I've got, it's early. Like I said, I was a little groggy. And I've got my pole up there, you know, lines out there. I'm just kind of sitting there minding my own business. My brother goes, you're going to bite. So I go to reach for the pole and set the hook. But by the time I got to reach the pole, the pole is actually going towards the water. My brother screams because it's his gear. He goes, get the pole. So I, I get up and I'm running. It's going fast. I've, I've never had this happen in my whole life. The pole's going towards the water. I'm going. And so I go to grab it. And just as I go to grab it, my feet hit the mud and my feet come out this way from under me. I'm airborne land on the mud and then I'm sliding into the water. My feet are dangling in the water. My brother screams, Get the pole! So I finally grab the pole, set the hook, mud's flying, water's flying. It, I don't have no idea what was on the end of this. This thing, this pole is bent over. He's telling me, dude, pull's a drag. I don't even know what drag is. I'm just doing whatever he tells me. After about 10 minutes, we pulled in what he and I affectionately know as Big Nasty. It was the largest carp I've ever seen. Its face was this big. And it was the simply the ugliest fish I've ever seen in my whole life. We threw it out. We got rid of it. I didn't keep it. That story is affectionately known as Big Nasty for my brother and I. And I, I got to tell you, I was thinking about that as I was putting together this message because what occurred to me was the exhilaration of the whole thing. Just that moment when you have no idea what's on the end. Will you actually bring it in? What's going to happen? That rush that you get when you're fishing. And it reminds me of what it's like when you partner with God as he is trying to work in and through your life. The, uh, when Jesus came on the scene, he called his first disciples to become fishers of men. And we're in the middle of a series here where we're talking about what it means to, to be a witness or to share our faith. And as Jay talked about last week, that the first and most important step is that you actually are caring or concerned with other people's lives, concerned with their faith. But today what I want to talk to you about is what it means to be a fisher of men. And when the Bible talks about men, it means mankind, it means everybody. 
And let's say, you know, no matter where you're at in this room today, and everyone's probably at a different place, let's say you came simply because your mama keeps begging you, you need to go to church, and you're like, fine, I'll go, I'll find a church. Or maybe, you know, you've been here, and this has been like your life, you followed Jesus for like 50 years. No matter where you're at, this message absolutely applies to you and has a big importance for your life, what it means to become a fisher of men. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to share this story from Luke chapter 5. And my hope is that as I kind of share this story, and I share a couple components of the story with you, that by the end of it, you'll start to realize how important it is for you to connect to God by being a fisher of men. So let me do this. Let me ask you to like pull out your Bibles or pull out your bulletin, and I'm going to pray that somehow God will speak to all of us here and help us to understand what he wants us to understand today. So pray with me if you would. God, I thank you so much for being a God that cares about us and uh, that you work so hard to draw us into relationship with you, that you are um, an amazing and beautiful God. And I pray that somehow, some way today that you would speak to us through your word and help us to understand what it means to be fishers of men. And I pray, God, that you would just simply use me as a messenger, but that your spirit would be here and help us all to uh, knock the calluses off our hearts to understand what you want us to understand. In your name we pray, amen. All right, in Luke chapter five, let me kind of explain what's going on here. Luke, the author of this letter, is the story of Jesus through Luke's eyes, what Luke did is Luke traveled with the early church leaders and he compiled a list of all of the stories, everything that happened, and he put it together in this, in this letter. And what he would do is he would talk to people and listen to them and get the story straight. And at this point in the story, what has happened is he's communicated that a guy named John the Baptist has come on this scene, and he was very popular in Israel. And he had this message to kind of, you know, to tell all the people of Israel, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Another way that, that, that he would say that is basically this, get your life right because God's about to do something really big. And as his message started to grow and his popularity grew, finally Jesus came on the scene and John pointed to Jesus and said, look, there he is. That's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And from that point forward, the spotlight was on Jesus. He started his ministry. He was doing teaching and preaching and doing miraculous things. And then it comes to the place where he starts to call his first group of disciples to become his followers. And this is where we pick up in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. Here's what it says. And the first thing I want to say to you guys as I'm breaking this down is this. Every fisherman has a fish story, okay? Luke chapter 5, verse 1. Here's what it says. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Side note, nothing to do with the sermon, but listen. They were listening to the word of God. Jesus was speaking. They were listening to the word of God. You should note that. Anyway, free charge. On to verse 2. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats and one belonging to Simon and asked him to put out a little further from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Now, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled their boat so full that they began to sink. Listen, 
Can you just imagine for a minute that Luke is talking to Peter, all right? Now, in this, you know, story, he's named Simon. His given name was Simon. Jesus nicknamed him Peter later. So at this point in the story, he was still really just Simon. Can you imagine Luke sitting down with Peter and saying, Peter, now you're like a fisherman, right? Yeah, I've been a fisherman my whole life. You owned a fishing business, right? Yeah, partners with James and John, the Zebedee sons. So that's what you did. How did you get hooked up with Jesus? All right, let me tell you. There was this day when I, you know, this fishing, my business didn't catch a thing. Jesus comes up, he's teaching. And here's what happened. The craziest thing happened. He asked me to put out in the nets in the water. But to be honest with you, we were putting our nets away. We were done because there was nothing biting. So he tells us, put them out. I'm thinking, aren't you like a carpenter rabbi? What do you know? That would be like me telling my brothers how to fish. But he says, fine, okay, because you say so, I'll throw out the nets. And then all of a sudden, they're trying to tug the nets. They can't, there's so many fish, they can't even get them all in. They're signaling the buddies, come on, help us out. Get the fish in the boat. And they're trying their best. Get them in the boat. The boats are sinking. Get the fish out of the boats. We're going down. I mean, this is a haul. They've brought in some fish here. And these are experienced fishermen. Can you imagine him telling the story? And what happened next? And the fish. This is a huge fish story. Every fisherman has a fish story. I can just imagine what that was like for Luke to hear, even for the first time, what happened between Peter and Jesus. I, I have a fish story, okay? Fishing with Jesus. Uh, years ago, one of my favorite memories all time of being here at New Life, uh, my wife and I were asked to go on a mission trip to New York City. Now, I think the only reason we got asked is because they wanted us to chaperone a bunch of high school students, keep them from getting in trouble in New York, which I get it, it's fine. But um, our job when we got there, aside from keeping them safe, was uh, basically to share the gospel. And what we would do is, it was a couple years after 9-11, and we went and we would ask people this question. How has the tragedy of 9-11 affected the city and the people of New York spiritually? And this gave us incredible opportunities to talk. And you might not think it, but the New Yorkers were absolutely engaging in the conversation. They would share with us. Oftentimes, they would talk about what happened. They would talk about loved ones. They would talk about where they were supposed to be and weren't. And oftentimes, they would talk about where they were at spiritually. And they gave us opportunities to talk about why we were there. We could sometimes pull out a Bible and share the gospel with them. And on a couple of occasions, we got to see people actually pray to give their lives to Christ. My favorite story, though, is incredible. We were at a park. And when I say park, don't think Central Park, although we visited there. Think Cement Park, all right? It's a small square area in the middle of the city, and there's a fence around it. And inside the park area, in the centerpiece, there's a huge, like, playground for the kids. There's a sprinkler, and around that whole area, there's a big walkway. And on the exterior, there's a bunch of park benches. This is where a lot of nannies were there, you know, with their kids. And there were people there probably, you know, eating their lunch, that kind of stuff. And what we would do is we would just go down and sit down next to someone. And if someone sat next to us, or if we were sitting next to someone, if we could engage in a conversation without forcing it, we would, you know, ask the question. Well, so I found the one shaded area that I could because you probably can't tell, but I'm extremely pale. And so I look for shade 
anywhere I can, especially during summer. So I found a shaded park bench that I could sit on next to two people. And so there's this walkway, and about, I don't know, 15 or 20 feet away from me, there's a sprinkler playing, kids are playing, and there's a bench across here, some people sitting there, and I'm sitting here between this guy who's got his head down, buried, playing a video game. And then I got this, this woman next to me, and it becomes obvious to me pretty soon she doesn't speak English. So I'm sitting here, and I'm going, okay, like, what do I do now? I, 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 this, I mean, I'd have to interrupt him to talk to him. You can't do that. I'm, I don't know how to talk. To, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I just started praying. I said, God, I came all the way from Columbus to share the gospel. I would love to share the gospel, but if I'm going to do that, you're going to have to do something. Just then... The wind blew, of which was not blowing before, and the sprinkler, the water landed only on my buddy and I. <laughs> he looks up, he looks right, we're practically face to face, and we both start laughing. I said, oh man, is it going to hurt your game? He's like, oh no, man, it's fine. I'm just, you know, I'm just kind of playing on my lunch break. He's like, what are you doing here? I said, well, <laughs> 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 it's funny you should ask that question. Do you know what? It turns out that guy had been seeking out God. He had a friend, a coworker who had been inviting him to church, had given him a Bible, but he had no idea where Jesus was even at in the Bible. He didn't understand the Bible. And so I got to sit there and just encourage him and explain to him how the Bible was laid out. I got to share the story of the gospel, share my story, and just encourage the guy. Right? <laughs> exactly. I'm like, there's nothing more exhilarating than watching God do what he does. Now, I have never had that happen before since, and I'm not promising you that's gonna happen for you, but I can promise you that when you fish with God, he's really good at what he does. Every fisherman has a fish story. Number two, and this is why I love the Bible. You should always read your Bible. My grandpa told me, just don't let it get dusty, Ed. That's a bad thing. I'm like, okay, read your Bible, I get it. So in this story, he's telling a story and something kind of happens, it shifts the conversation. Because this is when Peter knew. This is when Peter knew. Look at what he says there. Remember, they just caught all this fish. He's seen his business, like, have a great night. And he says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. I, I love the Bible because when you read it, sometimes you see something in the Bible, you're like, oh, that's not normal. Let me tell you what we would probably write today. And then I asked Jesus to be partners with me because I figured, you're a carpenter, right? I bet you could make a boat. You're really good at the fish. Thing. I can franchise this. We'll be famous and rich. Join me in my partnership business. Jesus and Peter Fishing Company. That is not what happened. He does exactly the opposite. He looks right at Jesus. He falls on his knees and says, you need to go. You need to get in someone else's boat. You need to get away from me. I am sinful. There's a moment when Peter realized just who Jesus is and that Jesus is extremely holy. He also became extremely aware that he was not. It reminds me of Isaiah in chapter 6, this Old Testament prophet, for whatever reason, God chose him to see a vision of what it looks like in heaven. He's looking at the throne room, and he sees God. And the first thing he says is, 
Woe is me. I'm ruined. I shouldn't be here. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. We shouldn't, oh man, I, I should not be here. You know, they knew something that every one of us needs to know. Every one of us needs to know. You see, the gospel is good news, but it also highlights something about us that sometimes we do not want to recognize. And there has to be a moment when you recognize that we are sinful. God is holy, and he wants all of the people to be in relationship with him. But God is holy and we're not, and that not, that sin is what separates us in our relationship. There has to be a reconciliation. He sends his son down. That is the good news, that his son is willing to pay the penalty for our sin so that we can be reconciled. But the power of the gospel starts when you recognize what Peter knew, and that is that we are absolutely sinful. And I would say this, that unless you've had that moment, you've not come in contact with God through his Holy Spirit. But for those of you who know, you know what I'm talking about. There's been that moment in your life when you realize, oh man, I am a sinner. I need forgiveness of a Savior. I'll, I'll tell you just a quick story about that. I'm, I'm always trying to find ways to share the gospel with my girls, okay? Uh, whether it's, uh, you know, on Easter Sunday, I remember making like Play-Doh uh, Easter, you know, and uh, I'd put, you know, Jesus would go in the tomb and then I'd kind of hide it and my daughter would be and I'm like, look, he's not there. She's like, where'd he go? He rose from the dead, you know? <laughs> we, we watched um, uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Chronicles, you know, and, and uh, we, I would pause it. I'd be like, it's an allegory, honey. This is, and she was fascinated by Aslan. You know, like, oh, man, she was so upset when he died. I mean, and we just, I pause. It's like Jesus, you know. Well, one night, uh, my wife had recently got Netflix. And uh, so I'm kind of like, what's on there? And I found this show called The Miracle Maker. It's a claymation story of Jesus. And it's definitely tailored towards kids. So it was an evening. I think it was a Sunday night. And uh, so I thought, hey, let's watch The Miracle Maker together. And uh, so Tammy laid down on the couch and she was out cold in about three minutes in. She was done, right? And uh, my youngest daughter, Carly, she was probably five at the time. So 20 minutes in, she was done. She was playing with stuff, messing around. But my, my oldest daughter, Abby, she was about seven at the time. She's up on my lap, and we're glued in together. You know, we're watching. Well, the point comes when Jesus starts getting taken by the authorities, and they start, you know, kind of beating him up a little bit. And she was, like, upset. She's like, what are they doing, Daddy? pause. <laughs> Honey, didn't you know, like Aslan, Jesus had to die for the sins of the world? Oh, bing, back on. So, I don't know, about a half hour later, the movie's over, and, um, you know, Tammy's asleep, Carly's playing, Abby goes upstairs, which if you have kids, or if you've had, you know, like, you've had your kids, you know, at night, kids don't go towards their bedrooms at night. They're usually like, staying away. I don't want to go because that means bedtime. I'm not doing that. So it was kind of unusual she headed upstairs, but I'm like, well, I didn't think anything of it. I went downstairs to grab laundry. So I get laundry and I go upstairs all the way up and I'm kind of in my room now and I'm just folding laundry thinking, all right, I'll just do laundry. You know, Tammy's asleep, get some laundry done. Anyway, my daughter comes in from her room and she's visibly upset. She had been crying. I'm like, honey, what's the matter? So I set her up on the bed and she said, daddy, I was thinking about the movie and I was really impressed with Jesus. <laughs> and I was thinking, 
Tammy's doing a really good job with your vocabulary. I can <laughs> see this now. I mean, but I said, well, I said, well, honey, what do you mean? She goes, well, so I went in my room and, and I was praying to God and I told him I wanted to be a follower of Jesus. And she just buries her head on my chest, just bawls her eyes out. She's just heaving, crying, you know, like, like a child. And she's on my chest. And she lifts her head up and she goes, and I told him I didn't want to be mean to my sister anymore. Back on my <laughs> heaving, you know. So I got her calmed down. I sat her down and I went downstairs and woke Tammy up. I was like, Tammy, wake up. She's like, what's wrong? I said, you need to go see your daughter. She's like, what's wrong? I said, you don't want to miss this. You don't want to miss this. She goes up. She's sitting with Abby. They're praying and crying and having a time together, you know. Now look, I don't, I don't want to pretend that, you know, I understand everything that happens in the spiritual realm and that was the moment for Abby that she gave her life to Christ. I don't know. This past year at VBS, um, she said that there were other kids who were praying to give their life to Christ. I said, I said, what about you, honey? She goes, daddy, I did that. Remember that night? But I'll tell you this, absolutely. I knew she had come in contact with God that night. I knew it. She offered to me that she was asking God for forgiveness. Where'd that come from? You see, when you come in contact with God through his Holy Spirit, you just know the same thing that Peter knew. There is something very broken in us. And every one of us has to know that moment. We have to know it, just like Peter did. <laughs> Lastly, I just want to share this. Um, Jesus wanted to make these guys into fishers of men. He wanted to make them into fishers of men. They understood fishing business. They understood how to catch fish. He's trying to transition them into something bigger. Here's what it says. It picks up the story. They were astonished at the catch. In verse 10, it says, And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled up their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. Can you imagine this part of the story? They say, well, Luke, I tell you what happened. He asked us to, to catch men. I didn't even know what he was talking about, but we just left the business. You left your boats? Yep, followed him. In, in Matthew's version of this and in, Luke's, or in Mark's version of this, Jesus' statement is exactly identical in both those two Gospels. It says this. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So what I want to do, I want to break down that statement into three things. Let's just kind of talk about it for a second just so we can understand. The first thing he said was, follow me. Now, follow me is an invitation to follow Jesus. That's it. And I believe that he opens that invitation to all of us in this room. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I... I need to clean my life up first before I start following Jesus. Or maybe you're thinking, you know, I need to, you know, I need, I've got other stuff going on. I, listen, what was the prerequisite to becoming a follower of Jesus? It certainly wasn't being a great guy. It certainly wasn't being sinless. I mean, Peter all but said, Jesus, you should get away from me. I, I know you and I think I know me. We don't belong together. And yet he was invited into following Maybe you're thinking, well, I don't know enough. I don't, I mean, if I'm going to even share my faith, I don't even know enough. Let me tell you something. What did these guys know? If you read the rest of the story, you realize these guys 
absolutely didn't understand Jesus at all. There are moments when Jesus is like, ugh. <laughs> the only prerequisite to becoming a follower of Jesus is that you accept the invitation. That's it. And he's asking all of us to be one of his followers. Secondly, he says, I will make you fishers of men. I will. You know, in the story, who really caught the fish? I mean, they threw out the nets. They almost sunk their own boats. Jesus is the one who did the majority of the work, was he not? In the same way, when you accept the invitation to become a follower of Jesus and you partner with him, he's the one who does the work. And he's really good at this. You know, last week, Jay was sharing, and there was something he said that I kind of noted, I think bears repeating now. He said, we don't need to have a brilliant mind and a clever message. We just have to be the broken people that we are with a clear message. That's it. This isn't a sales pitch. And let me tell you something. Nobody is a project. Nobody. You simply care about other people and love them and God does the rest the last part of that statement follow me and I will make you fishers of men you know fishermen know how to catch fish and nobody catches a fish by accident I am not a great fisherman but I can tell you you don't just walk around and catch a fish you go fishing in the same way he's asking them join me in my business and you might think, well, what's Jesus' business? Well, it wasn't carpentry. He had a mission. It reminds me of a story back in Luke. Um, you guys, you might remember the story. Back in Luke 2, as, as you know, Joseph and Mary, Jesus' parents, had gathered up Jesus and the rest of the family and probably went with a bunch of neighbors and whatever and some family members, and they went up to Jerusalem, as was normal every year. So they go up there. And, uh, you know, they're probably, it's probably a big group, and they're probably thinking, oh, you got Jesus, oh, I got him, you got, I, I got her, oh, yeah, okay, you got Jesus, okay. Well, they leave Jerusalem, and they're like, I thought you had Jesus. No, I thought you had Jesus. Well, where's Jesus? I don't know where's Jesus. And they hightail it back to Jerusalem. They find him at the temple. He's talking with all the leaders. So they grab him, like, what are you doing? So they grab him, they come home, and they're like, what are you thinking? Why would you do this? And Jesus says to them, why are you asking me about what I'm doing. Didn't you know I had to be about my father's house? In the King James Version, it says, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? The best way to translate it today would be, don't you know I have to be about my father's agenda? You see, Jesus laid down all of his rights, laid down everything in his life to partner with what the father's agenda was. He was about his father's business. And when he invites us into something, he's inviting us into what he's doing, which is the father's business. What's the father's business? Listen, next week, Brett's going to share from 2 Corinthians 5. It is an incredible passage. I'm just going to borrow just a, just a hair of it. I'm not going to take the whole thing, just a hair of it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, it says this. You know what God's business is? You ever wonder, what is God up to? I'll tell you what he's up to. He is, God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. That's the Father's business. He is searching after a people that are apart from him and trying to draw them into relationship with himself through what his son did on the cross. That's the Father's business. And he's inviting us all to follow Jesus 
in this business, and he's going to do most of the work. We only have to make ourselves available. And this is the whole issue. You can say, all right, I'm going to care about people. But at the end of the day, the only way you're ever really going to reach anyone is if you're available to what God's doing. And this is where I struggle the most. Because the truth is, I've got my own agenda. I've got my own stuff I've got to deal with. I've got my own plans. And oftentimes, I'm more concerned with them, and I just don't notice other people. Are you hearing me? Anyone else? At just times. And I think what God wants us to do is every day lay down our lives and say, God, I belong to you. I'm asking you, if you want to use me today, I'm available. And you'll be surprised when you start praying that and you lay down your life, you, you'll be surprised how God is going to use you. Let me, let me say this, you know, as maybe you're thinking, maybe you're on the beginning side of this and this is new and you've been thinking, all right, Ed, I've been coming to church the last whatever amount of time and I'm trying to get my life right with God, okay? Or maybe you're, you know, one of those people, you've been following Christ a long time, but you're like, yeah, Ed, I feel it. Man, I, I should be sharing my faith. Or, or maybe you've been trying and you've been struggling. Let me just share one little last story with you guys, okay, from, from about what happens in my life. Um, I've been at OSU now over a decade. And I see kids show up every year from even from here, from New Life. People who are raised in church and they come down to OSU and they have faith. But inevitably, what happens in that first year, their faith gets challenged. Oftentimes, it completely crumbles. I knew a girl from here who, you know, after, you know, a few months, she was like, oh yeah, I love Jesus. She took a class at OSU where a professor slammed the Bible and she told me afterwards, she goes, yeah, I don't know that the Bible is reliable. I still believe in Jesus, yeah, but I just, I just don't believe the Bible anymore. Oftentimes, it's a professor, it's another student, it's something that happens in their life, something they never plan on doing, and, and their faith just crumbles. So what, what I did last year for about three and a half months, I researched and I thought, I'm going to put together a course where I can teach the students, especially the incoming freshmen, just some reasonable faith things so that when their faith is challenged, they'll have some reasons to kind of butt up against their doubts. So we, we did a four-week course. It's, it's kind of like a Bible study. And these are the topics. One is the existence of God. The second one is morality. Where does morality come from? The third one is the reliability of biblical texts. And the fourth one is the uniqueness of Jesus. And so I researched and researched and researched, put together the course with the idea that I would teach our students so that they would have reasons for their faith but also the plan was to equip them so that when they're in scenarios or situations where it's coming up, they have something reasonable to say to someone else. You know, that was the plan. So last year I taught some people that, but during the year I said, all right, what I really want to do here, I want to find people outside the Christian bubble who I could talk to about the course, have them critique the course with me so I can see it from an outsider's view. I want to know, does what I'm studying, does it hold weight with people who are skeptics? So I prayed. I'm like, God, I'm available. I would like to meet some people and go through the course with them. God gave me four people last year, okay, got to share with. And I, mostly I got people who were kind of on the fence with God, people who were kind of agnostic or kind of, you know, they weren't sure, and uh, people who were kind of away from God. And uh, I was really looking for an atheist, okay, to be honest with you. 
Well, anyway, so I went through it with three people. My fourth guy, I, here's what happened. I was, I was out shopping, which is a little bit of a miracle in and of itself because I hate shop, okay? So I'm out shopping, and I go in the store, and uh, the clerk comes up, and he says, hey, can I help you? And I'm like, oh, man. Actually, yes, I need your help. I don't know what I'm doing. So the clerk comes up, and he's kind of helping me with what I'm trying to look for, and he's a young guy. Uh, just out of college. And I say, hey, so where are you from? He goes, well, I'm from Missouri. I'm like, really? What are you doing here? He says, well, um, I, you know, I graduated, you know, with my master's in philosophy, and now I'm looking at develop, you know, working with the philosophy department at Ohio State. And I said, philosophy? I said, um, can I ask you a personal question? He said, sure. I said, are you an atheist? <laughs> he starts laughing, kind of like you're doing. He laughs and he goes, well, not exactly. I said, well, what do you mean not exactly? He goes, well, the people in the philosophy department, they don't like me because I'm really not an atheist, but any religious person would definitely think I'm an atheist. It's complicated. I said, well, help me out here. Help me understand it. So he starts telling me all about it. As it turns out, he does believe in God, uh, but it's kind of different. And he has, I, said, I looked at him and I said, buddy, I, I just don't think you're going to qualify for what I'm doing. He goes, well, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm really looking for an atheist to help me with this course. I explained the whole deal to him. I said, I, I'm looking for people who can look at this, and I really need an atheist. And he goes, well, I'm not really an atheist. I said, yeah, I know, I, I said, but you're, you do have some very unique opinion. I've never heard anything like this. I said, would you be willing to go through the course with me? He goes, sure, all right. All right. So we, you know, I sent him a copy of the course through email, and we talked a little bit for about a month or so, and then we finally got together. We've met twice. He likes to talk. I like to talk. Each time we got together, it was about three hours each. So we've met two times, six hours total. We went over the first section about God. He does believe in a God. But the way I can describe God to you from his viewpoint is he believes God is kind of like the Star Wars God. God is a force, non-entity, no personal characteristics. So if you said he or she, you can't say that when it comes to God because God is some kind of force, you know? And he believes this. And he thinks life comes from that and understands who God is simply because that God exists. But there's no personhood. Over the course of our two weeks, I realized he's an extremely bright and articulate guy. He's a great young man, and he's extremely moral. Morals and ethics are a big deal to him. As we talked, though, he let on that he realized that there's a problem with his belief system, and that God, because he's not personal, there's no one to talk to. And he knows there's an ache in him. He gets that. There's some kind of ache, and he's longing for something. He asked me, after all the time we talked, right at the end, he said to me, he goes, Ed, based on what you believe, can I ask you something? I said, sure. He said, do you think if I die, I'll go to heaven? I said, I don't, I don't think so, buddy. He said, why not? I said, because it's not about how you live your life. That's not it. I said, let me explain it to you like this. I said, imagine, I said, you know, Tammy and I, we're going to have an anniversary. Let's say we had an anniversary party, right? Do you think we should invite our exes to the party? No, that's ridiculous. I said, of course not. We would want people who don't celebrate our relationship. You see, God is a very personal God, and he's trying to draw people into a relationship with him. Heaven is the culmination of that relationship where we get to share in an amazing way in this relationship with him. Why would he invite people to that who don't believe in him or even want to be around him? As we talked further, he said, well, maybe the Christian God could be like the face of the God that I believe in. I said, I don't, I don't think that's going to work for you. 
He said, why? I said, because you actually don't believe in this God. He said, well, I wonder what it would take for that God to usurp the throne of my God. That's what I said. <laughs> actually, here's the thing. He is a great young man, and he has an ache in his soul, and he knows it, and he's searching. If you're here, and you know that ache, you've sensed in your life there's some kind of brokenness, and you want to run towards God, can I just encourage you the same thing I would say to him? Simply respond to the invitation of God. He sent his son to die on a cross for you. That's a lot for anyone to ask, and yet God did it without us asking to die for us. And I would tell him, and what I want him to get so deeply and so dearly is that he would simply embrace our Savior and the invitation. If you're here and you're like, man, I'm busy, I got a lot going on, can I just say, this young man grew up in the Bible Belt and had no understanding of the gospel at all? I'm not saying that as a blame, but something's happening. Somehow, I don't know if it's a big trick on us, but we get so caught up in our own little agendas that we just miss what God's asking us to do. So let me, let me say, I realize I am a guest, but we are family, right? I mean, let me just encourage you, no matter where you're at today, that if that ache is in your soul, turn your life to God. If you have, like me, those times when you just know you're not available, could you just start out with a small prayer every day and say, all right, God, help my eyes to be open. Help me to be available to you today. That if, if you see something I don't see, you see the fish and I don't, if you can just see it, help me to be alert to what is it you're doing. And my prayer is that for all of us, no matter where you're at, that as we join him to be fishers of men, that we would experience the exhilarating rush of the power and presence of God. Nothing, and I mean nothing, will make your worship grow than as you partner with God and experience what he's trying to do in your life. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. So as we're finishing up and as uh, you know, the band is going to come back up and lead us out, um, I, I just want to thank you, first off, for letting me be your guest. Um, but let me also just kind of lead you through some prayer, okay? Um, so maybe stand up and uh, maybe stretch it out. You know, it's almost time for lunch. Stretch it out. And let me ask you, take a second and just kind of close your eyes and bow your head. And just where are you at? If you, if you have people in your mind that you just would like prayer for, the people that you're thinking about, or if maybe you have the ache in your soul, can I just remind you that there are prayer partners up here around the room you can go to. I cannot tell you how many, I don't remember who I prayed with, but there are so many times I came up front just to kind of get it out of my mouth, you know, to have someone else pray with me. That moment meant so much to me. If that's you, you're welcome to come up and pray with one of the people around the room. But wherever you're at, can I just lead you to talk to God? Just kind of bow your head and close your eyes. And if, if that's you and you're at that place where the ache is in your soul and you know it, and you're ready to accept the invitation, here's what you do. Between you and God, from your heart to his, you simply say, God, I am sorry. Please forgive me. I believe in your son, and I want to accept the invitation. Tell him that in your words. 
He's not expecting you to bring a lot to the table except a willingness to accept the invitation. Just tell him you're willing and tell him, please forgive me. He wants to do that. Tell him you believe in his son and he rose from the dead and now you want him to be the Lord over your life. That You want to follow Jesus. God, I pray for many people in the room like me who we just struggled at times. We struggle to know what to say or how to say it or, and mostly just being available. I pray, God, that you would help us to lay down our lives every day and become available to you. That if you have a moment for us, that we would recognize it. That we would see people the way you see them. And I pray, God, for the people in our lives that you strategically placed us in connection to that we might have an opportunity to love on them and to care about them and maybe even share the gospel with. I pray that in your son's holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys.